It started a little over two months ago. A phenomenon that literally took the world by storm. To say that any one of us wishes we were there is a grand understatement. 232 million people were engaged in this worldwide event. Continuously checking, continuously following, continuously monitoring, almost an addictive passion was taking over. But then it happened. This past Saturday in New York, April the Giraffe gave birth. Right? I mean, there's like a millions of people watching the giraffe, watching for a giraffe to give birth. You know why? Because look, there are some things in life you just, that you just want to be there for. You don't want to read about it. You want to see it for yourself, which is why we're doing this series. Because we're looking at some of the greatest stories in all the Bible, and we're seeing what it would be like if we were there in person. Because, I mean, there's some stories... It's not enough to read about it. Man, We would because we would want to say, I wish I was there, right? Um, you know, for me, I like to do guy stuff. Like, I like to hunt. I like to fish. I like to do CrossFit. Um, I also like tater tots, which kind of undoes most of the CrossFit. Um, but, you know, honestly, I just like to do guy stuff. And which is why I think this story today is so incredibly appealing to me. Uh, but the truth is, the applications of the story today go way beyond just guys. All right? So the applications really are for everyone, although the story today is about a group of guys. Okay? So ladies, today you're going to get a little insight into man's world. All right? Um, now, part of the problem in our world today is that I'll be honest with you, the message of Christ seems like it is less relevant, less of an influence, and really less of a determining factor in people's decisions than ever before. But the truth is, that hasn't made our world better. It hasn't made our world any safer. It hasn't made our world um, any less addictive, and it hasn't made people happier. In fact, I would say it's really had the opposite. Um, people today feel more vulnerable there are more addictions than ever before, and people are more empty than they ever, than they ever have been. So, so what gives? Well, the thing is, our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to live like that. Our Heavenly Father wants us to have a life that is full. It's full of meaning and full of joy and full of happiness and full of security, and He wants to guide us and protect us and to help us and provide for us. He wants all of those things for us. But in order for that to happen, we have to grab on to some truths that are embedded in the stories that we're going to read today. And it all happened one night around a campfire with a really special group of people. Okay? So let's put ourselves in the midst of the story and let's see what would happen if we were actually there, okay, so let me set the scene for you. Let's just say that King David comes to you and invites you to come to um, a gathering around a campfire at the royal palace. Now, this is King David, the same guy who fought Goliath, the same guy who led Israel into gr to great victories in battle. That King David invites you to come. 
And he says there's going to be a special group of people there that night, but his instructions are clear, that you're to sit there and listen, not to talk. And so you say, you know what, I'm going to arrive early because, I mean, I got invited by the king. So I'm going to, uh, so you arrive early, and secondly, you also want to hear what is, what is going to happen? Who am I going to see? What are they going to say? And so they light the campfire, and it's in the royal courtyard, which is, you know, a dirt floor, and there's campfire in the middle, and then as darkness, as, as twilight gives way to darkness, men begin to file in. First a few, and then more than a few. And you can tell that these are battle-hardened men, and they're all wearing the uniform of warriors. Not a uniform like an infantryman, but more like gladiators. You can tell these men are built for hand-to-hand combat. And although, that, although you can tell they're warriors, that there's something unique about them. Because they're all smiling. And their eyes dance in the firelight. And so there's something different. You can tell that although these are men of war, they're also men of inner, inner peace. And so each man goes to the table and grabs food and a drink that's been provided for them. They begin to take their seats around the campfire. And then you realize there's, there's 37 of these people. And then it begins to register to you that the group of people that you're sitting with are a group called David's Mighty Men. Okay? This is an elite fighting force. This would be equivalent to modern-day Navy SEALs. I mean, these are these guys. There's a group of 30 of them. They're called the Mighty Men. There's another group of three of them, and they're called, creatively, the Three. And, and, and then there's four commanders, including David himself. There's 37 total. And so... You do as you're instructed, and you sit there, and you listen. And you realize that tonight is not a night of planning war. Tonight is a night of telling stories, of telling stories of victories in the past. And so if you were there, sitting and listening, what would you have heard? Go ahead and plot your messages. Let me tell you what you would have heard. The first thing that I would hear is this, is I would hear about defeating 800 men with a spear, I'd hear about defeating 800 men with a spear. Check it out. 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. It says, These are the names of David's mighty men. Josheb Bashebeth, a Tekemanite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Okay? So the first guy to stand up and tell a story is this guy named Josheb Bashebeth. Okay? By the way, seriously, did his mama not know what she was doing to that poor child when she named him that? I mean, did she not realize how hard that is to write at the top of a clay tablet right, as a kid? I mean, seriously? So I'll tell you what, let's just call him Josh, all right? So Josh stands up, and he begins to tell his story. And he says, you know what? I was out on patrol one day, and I was by myself, and all of a sudden, I was ambushed by 800 men. There was nobody with me. There was no one to call for backup. It was just me versus 800 men. It was kill or be killed. And I didn't have my sword with me. All I had was my trusty spear. And so I decided 
to stand my ground against the, against the coming foe. And when the day was done, I had killed all 800 with just this spear. Now look, I gotta be honest with you. If I'm gonna go fight against 800 men, a spear is like in the bottom three of weapons I'm ever gonna want. I mean, I'm gonna want something that can deal massive damage to lots of people. I mean, at least give me like some nunchucks, something that I can like whip around real fast, maybe unlimited Chinese throwing stars, or give me an Uzi. I mean, give me something where I can like mow them down. But don't give me a spear for heaven's sake. But that's what this guy had, a spear. And he killed all 800 with a spear. A spear. I mean, what did he like? Shish kebab him like eight at a time? I'm like, what did he do? Was he like whooping around like, like biblical Jackie Chan? I mean, what did this guy, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. All 800 with a spear. Amazing. Okay? And as soon as he sits down, another guy stands up. And this story you're going to hear next is a story about becoming frozen to a sword. The second story is about becoming frozen to a sword. Here's what it says. Verse 9. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pass Damim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. I mean, well, okay, so now this guy, Eleazar, stands up. And you know, when he stands up, you could tell, like, this, this guy's got a chip on his shoulder. And you could tell he's, you know, got some inner anger. And look, and maybe it's because his dad's name was Dodai, Okay. You grew up and your dad's name is Dodai, like junior high is going to be tough. Let's just be honest, okay? So this is one tough dude, okay? So they are, here they are, they're, you know, you got Israel on one side, there's a big valley in the middle, then the Philistines are on the other side, and they start taunting one another. You know, maybe the Israelites throw out some really great mom jokes, you know, then the Philistines, maybe they throw out a couple of, you know, slurs about Dodai and really rouse them up. But regardless, when they rush to face each other in battle, the Israelite army, all of them say, you know what? We don't want any part of this. They retreat, all except for Eleazar, who just keeps going at them. And he fights so long, so hard that day, that when they come back, they have to peel his fingers from his sword because they're frozen there. He has gripped his sword so hard and so long. Incredible. And when they come back, I mean, it's, it's not to help him. Eleazar says, when they showed up, it wasn't to give me any help. The only reason they came back was to strip the dead. And everybody around the campfire goes, ooh. I mean, testosterone is at an all-time high, Okay. So then the third story you're going to hear is this. So he sits down. Third story is this. It's about taking a stand in a field of beans. It's about taking a stand in a field of beans. Check it out. Verse 11. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, lentils are just beans, 
Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Okay, so here we are. Once again, we're fighting the Philistines, but this time, the battle takes place in the middle of a bean field. And once again, all the Israelites, they run away. And Shammah is left there to fight all these Philistines on his own. And I'm sure as they were leaving, they're like, hey, Shammah, look, let's just run. It's just a field of beans, and if they want it, let them have it. It's just beans, man. But Shammah says, no farther. He takes his stand in the middle of the bean field and cuts down all the Philistines. Wow. I'm telling you, like I would have loved to have been there to hear all this. And by the way, these aren't the only stories. There are many other stories that God told that we just don't have time to talk about. But I'm telling you, I wish I had been there. And if you and I had been there, we would arrive at at least three conclusions. And I want you to write these down. Here they are. The first conclusion is this. Is nothing can defeat God and his plans. Nothing can defeat God and his plans. I mean, now look. These guys, if you were there that night, you would have basically said, you know what? It doesn't seem like anything could ever defeat God and his plans. Like, literally nothing. And it doesn't matter how long the odds are. It doesn't matter how stacked things are against you. It doesn't matter if you bring a spear to an Uzi fight, okay? If you are fighting God's fight, you can't lose. You can't lose because nothing can defeat God and his plans. Which, by the way, if you're already a Christ follower, like, that's really good news. Because that means that as long as you're fighting on God's side, you will eventually emerge victorious, okay? There might be times when you feel like you're in a battle. There might be times that you feel outnumbered. But I'm telling you, if you're fighting God's fight, you will emerge victorious in the end. For instance, single moms. Like, I know. I know it feels for you that the odds might be stacked against you. But you keep following God, and you'll emerge victorious. I know, like if, if you have a manipulative boss, it might seem that you're facing an impossible situation, but you just keep following God. You will eventually emerge victorious. If you're a Christian student, I know it might feel that you are vastly outnumbered, but you just keep following God. And you will emerge victorious. Because, look, your job is to follow. God is the one who'll fight the battles. And he'll be the one that wins the victories, okay? Look, think about it like this. Where are the Philistines today? Have you ever thought about that? Look, they were one of Israel's biggest enemies in the Bible. And so what happened to them? Where are they today? In fact, what happened to all of the nations that fought against Israel? Where are the Amalekites? Where are the Amorites? Where are the Hittites? Where are the Jebusites? Where are the Moabites? What happened to all these people? All of them are gone. None of them exist any longer. In fact, the only nation that remains is Israel. That's it. All the rest of them are gone. Because I'm telling you, nothing can defeat God and his plans if you are fighting on his side. Nothing. 
All right, second thing that you can come away with is this. Second conclusion is this. Don't be afraid to take a stand. Don't be afraid to take a stand. Look, each of these guys, at some point, they had to take a stand. One stood against 800 men. Another stood with his hand frozen to his sword. Another one stood in the middle of a bean field. But the point is, they all took a stand, and they weren't afraid. And you shouldn't be afraid either. Don't, don't be afraid to make a stand for Christ. Like, don't be intimidated by people who troll around on social media. Don't be afraid by people and what their opinions are. It doesn't really matter what other people think. It only matters what God thinks. That's all that matters. He's the only one that you're ever going to answer to. So now look. Now here, look, you need to hear this. There's a right way and a wrong way to take a stand, okay? Like the wrong way to take a stand is to, you know, get online and post nasty and hateful stuff about people that would say anything against Christ or Christianity or church or anything like that and just, you know, get on there and just let them have it. It's almost like if you were sitting around this campfire, you're like, you know what, all right, I'm ready to go to war for Jesus. You're going to go out there and you're going to hack and you're going to slay and you're going to, you know, cut people down and do whatever. And if anybody wants to come back, it's going to be only to strip the dead. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's not how Jesus would handle it. And so you know what? The right way to take a stand is just simply to say, you know what? This is what God says in the Bible that I should do. And so this is where I stand. You can have your opinion, but this is where I stand. And you leave it at that. Okay, let me say it like this. Making a stand doesn't mean that you mow over other people. It just means that you stand and you don't allow yourself to be moved. You don't mow over people, but you don't allow yourself to be moved either. You make a stand, okay? And here's another thing you need to understand. Don't readily surrender ground to the enemy in your life. No matter how insignificant that ground might seem. Look, sometimes it might seem that you're making a stand in the middle of a field of beans. But here's the deal. If you don't make a stand in the bean field, then where else is the enemy going to encroach in your life? What other ground is he going to try to take? How much farther will he advance? Look, so don't be afraid to make a stand and say, you know what, right here and no more. Like, this is it. I'm making my stand right here. And don't be afraid to do it. Look, let me give you a few examples. God says that you and I are to remain pure before we're married and faithful while we are. Now, the rest of the world says that kind of thinking is just so old-fashioned. But God says, if you'll follow what I say, it will make your marriage healthier. So don't be afraid to stand for purity. God says that you and I are to take a stand for kindness, that we should be kind to people no matter how they treat us or what they say to us. And so you know what? Don't be afraid to be the kind of person that when somebody else insults you or says ugly things about you or does something behind your back to hurt you, don't be afraid to be the person that says, you know what, I'm going to turn the other cheek and just be kind anyway. Don't be afraid to take a stand for kindness. God also says that you and I are to guard our hearts from the influences of the world that would want to pull us away from him. And so for you, maybe that means you say, you know what, I'm going to take a stand, and for me, no more rated R movies. Or for me, I'm just not going to drink alcohol 
any longer. Or maybe for me, I'm only going to listen to Christian music. Now look, there's no single Bible verse that says you have to do any of those things. But if you're feeling like God is wanting you to take a stand, then take a stand there. Make that your bean field. And say, you know what? No farther. I'm not going to allow the enemy to encroach any farther or advance any farther in my life. This is the stand I feel like God is calling me to make. And I am willing to make it. And here I stand. I'm not going to be moved. So don't be afraid to take a stand. You know, there's lots of places where we can make these kinds of stances, stand up and say, you know, I'm not intimidated or afraid. One, of, one, one key place is in baptism. Basically, baptism is someone who's willing to say, you know what, I'm not afraid or intimidated to let people know that I am a Christ follower. That I follow Jesus with my life now. And I'm not afraid or intimidated for, to let people know that. And see, it's, it's actually the first commandment that Jesus gives anyone who is his follower. And I think the reason it's one of the very first commandments is because it's, it's, it sets the tone for everything in your life thereafter. It sets the tone to say, you know what, I'm going to be the kind of person that makes a stand. And I'm not going to be afraid or intimidated to sit quietly by and do nothing. So if you've never been baptized... You need to start there. And I'll, I'll give you a chance to do that or make a commitment to do that when we get to the end of today, okay? Third conclusion that you come to is this, is that a relationship with God is the key to any real victory. A relationship with God, it is the key to any real victory. I want you to notice that two out of the three stories ended with the same line. They ended with, um, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Okay, look, here... Here's these like, these literally hyper macho guys. They have everything to brag about. But they all say the same thing. It was the Lord who brought about a great victory that day. That means that each one of these men had a relationship with God where they realized that it wasn't them who brought about the victory, okay? It wasn't their skill or their strength or their prowess. That it was the Lord working through them. Look, that is why these were men of inner peace. That's where it comes from. And look, and if, and if you had been there at the campfire that day, I think this is probably the most amazing thing that you would have come away with, that here are these, again, these warriors, these elite fighting force guys, these guys who could be so self-dependent and so self-reliant, and, and really they could pretty much accomplish whatever they wanted on their own, that all of them to a man would have said, you know what, it's not about me. It's not me who brought about the victory. It is God working through me. And that's something that I think that you probably never would have gotten just from the outside looking in. You would have had to have been there that night and heard it for yourself. That these guys were guys who said, you know what? Yes, I fight for the Lord, but God is a central part of my life, whether I'm at home or whether I'm at war or whether I'm around a campfire. That God is just not something that I do on Sunday when I go to the temple. God is a part of all parts of my life. He is a part of everything that I am. And so when I fight, it's the Lord who brings about the victory. I mean, wouldn't you like that to be said about you? Wouldn't you like to say that about yourself? Wouldn't you like other people to say that about yourself? Well, the key to doing that is to develop and deepen your own personal relationship with God. 
Because a relationship with God is the key to any real victory. Because only God gives you the strength and the skill and the prowess to do life the way he wants you to do it. Look, it's only through a relationship with God that you'll have a long and happy marriage because it's only God that will give you the patience and the kindness and the forgiveness that it takes to be married until death do us part. And it's only through a relationship with God that you'll be a good parent because God will guide you and help you not be too heavy-handed, but at the same time, not too permissive. It's a relationship with God that will help you help your teenagers navigate those difficult teenage years by giving you just the right words to say at just the right time the way they need to hear it. And look, they're still going to make their own decisions, but God will guide you and help you along the way. Uh, Having a relationship with God is key for you to having a great career, okay? Look, you can make a lot of money without God, but what I'm saying is, is that when you get to the end of your career, if you've developed and deepened this relationship with God, you'll be able to look back, and because it's how you treated people and what they say about you after you're gone, that's what will matter the most. That's what you'll treasure. That's what you'll actually care about. And a relationship with God is the key to any real victory in life. So, how do you deepen your relationship with God? Well, you know, there's all kinds of ways. If you're already a Christ follower, you do that first off by making a commitment to being at church regularly. That way you can learn and you can grow and you can rub shoulders with people who are trying to do the same. It means that you make a commitment to be involved in a small group or in a Bible study so that you can ask questions and so that you can, you know, really wrestle with some of the things that you're learning. And after a while, it means that you become a small group leader yourself for uh, either adults or kids or students so that, I mean, you'd be shocked at how much you learn when you prepare to teach, right? It means that you make a commitment to read the Bible on your own and pray and develop that relationship with God. So what is, look, what is it you're doing to deepen your own personal relationship with God? Because if it's a key to any real victory, you have to have a relationship. But look, for everyone, that relationship has a starting point. I mean, literally, for everybody, there is a starting point. And that starting point is asking Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you and then commit to following him. If you've never done that before, I want you to give you a chance to do that today. Because that's where it all starts. Look, that's why Jesus died on a cross. He died on a cross so that his death could purchase forgiveness for your sins. And then he rose again three days later on Easter, just like we talked about last Sunday. And so he offers his gift of forgiveness. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how high your sins are stacked, because none of us deserve to go to heaven on our own. None of us do. And so he offers his forgiveness to you. He just waits for you to accept it. If you've never accepted it, you can accept it today by praying a very simple prayer. It's at the bottom of your message notes. If you've never prayed that prayer, take a second. I want you to pray it right now, okay? Now, if you've already a Christ follower and you've already prayed that prayer before, then make a commitment today to become one of God's mighty men or one of God's mighty women, the invitation is still open to do that. But in order to do that, you need to grab hold of these truths that we've talked about today and put them into practice in your life. That's what I want you to take away from being around the campfire that night. All right, bow your head, close your eyes. Let me pray for all of us.
Heavenly Father, I do want to say thank you. Thank you that the invitation to be a part of your mighty men and mighty women is not a closed group. It's not a closed invitation that is still open for us today. And I pray that you would help each of us to choose to be that kind of a person so that we one day could tell stories of great victories that you have brought about in our lives. Not that we've done, but that you've done through us. And I pray for those today, Father, that you are inviting to start a relationship with you to become a Christ follower for the first time. That they would choose to step across that line and it would be the first step in a long journey in life of following you. And you would help all of us to go deeper with you. And I ask you to bring us back next week so that we can learn more. We ask you to do this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.